This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, it's Good News Tuesday. We hear some good news, take some calls from the Shift Heads, and share that good news all across Canada. Greg Fish, the world of weird things. We dive into the mystery that plagues humans nine years later. MH370 Malaysia Airlines. We explore such problems as letting mysteries go. Why we resort to conspiracy theories when we're left without the answer, and plus some just some details about that particular documentary on Netflix. Are you okay with first class? What about the middle seat on an airplane? All of that and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Good news, everyone. It's about time for some good news. Tell me something good, 877-399-9898. It is Good News Tuesday, where your good news makes good news babies. The more good news that we share, the more good news that we get to um, we get to think of and be present to, which is really, really cool. Okay, a couple of text messages come in. Uh, good news, um, this is for Demi, I think. I've spent so many years on night shift, I can easily sleep all day. There you go. That's what you have to look forward to, Demi. I can't, on the other hand. I used to be up early, and then now I still, like, I do allow myself sleeping a couple of days a week until I just wake up, and um, other days I set an alarm, but yeah, no, it takes a little getting used to this whole night shift thing. It's not um, it's not easy. Uh, Demi is the uh, the topic here, it seems like, on Good News Tuesday. 877-399-9898. One more point for Team Doggo. Thanks, Demi, from Trucker Dan, for your Mr. Jones dog. The uh, Mr. Jones is Demi's dog. If you missed that part of the conversation, Trucker Dan is massive uh, dog person. And if you don't know the conversations about um, cats versus dogs, is a big battle. Miss Josie and Trucker Dan, they go at it all the time. And um, uh, Miss Josie being the weird one, of course, because um, she likes dogs. Excuse me, she likes cats. Trucker Dan likes dogs. And uh, and so the, the battle begins since the beginning of time. And uh, we all know dogs are way cooler, right? Right, dog people? <laughs> all right. Uh, on the weekend this weekend, the Junos, they always announce and induct some people into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. And there was a few inductions that were done. Kind of, ca- I think they're kind of catching up because there wasn't a whole lot done during the pandemic. And there was uh, one particular person who I've never met, but I'm told is uh, has been super awesome for her whole career. And... This takes me back to my very first job, AM country radio, back in the 90s. Uh, but congratulations, that's Terry Clark. Well, maybe that was true for a night or two. But now I've got better things to do. Uh, Terry Clark inducted into Canadian I Music Hall of Fame. And, oh, there's more there. It's good. That was such a cool time in in country music because that was when country and western kind of went away and this sort of poppy new country thing happened very rhythmic hooky and super fun started 877-399-9898 speaking of music into the canadian music hall of fame craig's in west vancouver hey craig how you doing shane good buddy so tell me is this one of your favorite bands or is this sort of an iconic canadian for you 
Well, Trooper is an iconic band. Um, it's interesting. Um, I've they started off in Vancouver's little band, little band in 1969 called Winters Green, became a club band in Vancouver called Applejack, then became Trooper in the mid 1970s. Uh, I was in a former life was a concert promoter, did shows across Western Canada, and from 77 to about 81. Trooper each year sold out major arenas across Canada, and it took and they broke up the the big act recording act uh, morphed into something else in the 1980, but it took 43 years to induct them into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Now that is a long time, and I agree with you because they've been not only were they influential back then, but their music has stood the test of time. Uh, all the way through, not to mention, I mean, you simple things. You go to a hockey game, you're probably going to hear a Trooper song. You listen to oldies or classic rock radio, you're probably going to hear a Trooper song. I mean, they've stood the test of time for a long time, but it is not absurd. Like, Chilliwack was only inducted in 2019, so not a whole yeah. lot different. Burton Cummings was 2016, so they're not a whole, not that far off the timeline. It's interesting, though, the three acts you mentioned, all from Western Canada, you sometimes wonder if there's a bit of a bias with uh, Eastern groups. Well, I can tell you this. I have the list in front of me, actually. If I want to look at sort of that classic rock era, uh, Blue Rodeo, which would be more Eastern, they were 2012. April Wine was 2010. Loverboys West Coast, they were 2009. Well, Bob Rock was Hawaii <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah. Um, is 2007. Triumph was 2008. Blue Rodeo, they're tw- I think I said that, 12. Alanis Morissette. Uh, was 15. Alanis Morissette had some more global reach in multiple formats, so I give her credit for right. that. Um, you know, so I mean, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe that's a yeah. West Coast frustration thing. Um, yeah. Corey Hart, well, 2019, is, And they, you know, I, I toured, I toured, I did a bunch of shows with Burton, uh, Trooper, Prism, all these guys, but Trooper nice. just, I mean, they all were great guys to work with. You know, it's interesting. I did some shows across Western Canada. I did, some, I did some major shows in Vancouver, Rod Stewart, Fleetwood Mac, Neil Diamond, those kind of thing. But wow. I'll tell you something, consistently Canadian rock groups uh, and guys like Burton, uh, when you tour with them and do, uh, say, 10, 12 shows across Western Canada, there's no ego. And if there's no ego with the headline attraction, there's no ego with their road crew, there's no ego with the truck drivers. They're just a great bunch of people to work with compared to some American acts. Uh, you know what? I, I will second that, actually. Uh, here, So I have a Christmas special that I do, Craig, that I do on a bunch of different channels. And yeah. I have a friend of mine that um, is in Toronto on the radio, and he does the oldies-style music radio. And so yeah. he does the, they do a lot of feature with all those acts um, that are around, right? Kim Mitchell and yeah. that whole yeah. – I mean, that's a pretty tight-knit community of, of people. Yep. And yes. It was the the coolest thing that I can I can second what you're saying is that when I had asked for contact to meet some of these people that I had not met or had phone numbers, it wasn't an issue of hey call this person and here's an email and you can like business stuff. It was exactly. you know yeah. here's their here's the phone number, fire them a text yeah. and just say you got it from me. And yeah. that that's the that's the level of I think that sort of grounded personality that you're talking about. It was literally just send a text, they'll call you, and they'll try to set something up. That's the kind of people they are. You nailed it. You nailed it. You're bang on. Anyway. Love it. I love the program. Always look forward to Tuesday nights. It's a good good thing to listen to just before you hit the sack. Isn't it, though, some positivity? Just a little uh, kind of flush out the day a little bit? 
Yeah, we sure need it in this days and age. So, anyways, love the show. Thanks, Craig. Take care, buddy. Uh, Craig is in West Vancouver. So many great songs. Uh, Two for the show. So a couple of understated Trooper songs. Let's acknowledge that from uh, Craig's contribution, too. Uh, Two for the show, sort of understated Trooper song. Right? Just didn't get the... It got some classic rock play, but... Like you know, you you don't know that's Trooper, maybe, but you know that. So good, General Hand Grenade, another one. This is my favorite, by the way, of all the songs that are not the mainstream ones. It always reminded me of the Fraggle Rock theme song. Good old General Hand Grenade, in a cool stuff, Craig. Um. Also uh, inducted to. Uh, the Hall of Fame, Eric, uh, Canadian Music Hall of Fame, was uh, our buddies Nickelback, um, which was cool. And in one of the, in their presser, I, I, I get I was sent this by my buddy Jerry Forbes, who we used to work radio together. Um, they sent a, they were standing up doing a presser, and they sent the clip. They said the clip about talking about living in Hannah and listening to radio, and you only got like one station out of Calgary, the FM Rocker that I used to work at. And they talked about how they used to drive to the top of a hill and listen to the evening show so they could hear um, the new songs that were getting played. And that was really cool because that was when I hosted a show that was called The Edge on there. And uh, it was, uh, that was that was the time. That was when we met them and started getting their music was when they would drive from Hannah close enough they could hear the Calgary radio. And it was really cool for me, just uh, speaking of the news, it made me feel good when you feel like you influence things in life that uh, that's the story that they told in that presser, which was them driving to the hill to listen to my show, which uh, was quite the compliment, um, you know, to be able to have a hand in, um, in in what their success was. Now, Nickelback, if you don't know, has a new album out, and, um, and it's really great stuff. And uh, so there's two things in that album that I want you to know from Nickelback's new album. I listened to, I have not listened to an album front to back in, oh God, I don't know how many years, right? Um, and I love this album, this new one, uh, Rollin', um, or Get Rollin', excuse me. And San Quentin is a real rocker. Love it. So if you haven't heard Nickelback in a while, they're kind of back to their old tricks, which is cool. Um, Vegas Bomb is another great one, but the one that you really need to know is High Time, and it's this is the one that I know that I got uh, Kelsey Campbell, our executive producer, hooked on because she loves country music, and they got a real country flair in what they're doing. Um, Brantley Gilbert is their touring partner and stuff this spring. I think that's awesome. I'm really excited to hear this, and you talk about guys that had the most played song in radio, and uh, I was lucky enough to be the first person to play that song on the radio, and... Congratulations to everybody. Um, I love it. So I suggest you give it a bit of a go. It's good go. It's good news Tuesday here. It's the shift eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. This comes from Nancy in Toronto. I texted the show about a month ago, telling you guys that my credit score was six ninety nine. Well, my good news is that I found an apartment and signed a lease for one year. Move in March thirty first. Nancy from Toronto. Congratulations, Nancy. That's uh, it's a lot of hard work, man, to get that stuff cleaned up. The whole uh, credit system is such a scam anyway because you can have no credit and be rich and not be able to buy things. 
right? So you have to play in the system and have debt in order to do it. And um, good for you for figuring it out and getting your spot. Congratulations, Nancy. Nancy actually tested a text us early this morning uh, on on Tuesday morning, early, early, early. She's so excited for that one. Uh, Brian is in Drum Heller. Brian, what's your good news? Well, I have two pieces of good news. So a friend of mine gave me a phone, but it just recently started glitching out. So I talked to my other friend about it. He's like, well, I'm going to have to search around for my other phone. Well, he's like, you know what? I just found it the other day, actually, so I don't even have to find it. So he's like, in a couple of days, you can have it. And uh, just pay me back at the end of the month for it. Nice. And the same friend that gave me the new phone, well, he bought a 2012 uh, Articat 800, I believe it was, or an 8,000. 800 Snowmobile, right? Anyway. Yeah, of course. I helped him do the carburetors on it. He hasn't taken it out once in the entire snowfall year of last year or this year. So tomorrow, Jeez. he's going to be taking it out along with my 71 Johnson. Obviously, my, or sorry, my 72 Johnson. Obviously, wow. my Johnson will not beat his by any means, but he's like, I really need to take the sled out before the river starts to uh, break up. Love it. I love it. This is great. Yeah. And you love snowmobiles, Brian. That's how we met, oh, yeah. was right? Was in the conversation uh, of snowmobiles? Yeah, it was. And uh, he also needed help with his carburetors because they were draining. He bought the sled. There was like the lines were rotting out. And I said, well, let's, we got to take the carburetors part, don't we? And he's looking at the bottom of the tubes. I said, well, they need to be plugged. I said, that's why you're losing your fuel. I said, there's two ways we can do this. We can put bolts through it. Or you can take the loop, and we can just tie the two carburetors together. He decided to use the two bolts, but they're starting to leak. So he's like, well, I guess I should have listened to you on using the long tube. But, yeah, either way, he wants to take it out tomorrow. Love it. That's so cool. Brian, thanks for the call. All good news, man. And I know that you've uh, you've done so much there. You've had so much going on that you've shared with us here on The Shift. Thank you for your authentic uh, honesty and all those things. Really cool stuff. Uh, It's Good News Tuesday. What is your good news? uh, Harvinator and Edmonton, good news, I have no bad news. You know, that's that's good. Another text comes in and says, Thin White Line Trooper. Was that Dan? Uh, Trucker Kevin. Um, cool stuff. So, Carrie in Edmonton uh, texts in, One year ago, my doctor said, I'm sorry you have... Uh, oh, just moved. Sorry. Lost it. Come on, Internet. Give me the love. There it is. Okay. Um, Carrie in Edmonton, one year ago, my doctor told me, I'm so sorry you have breast cancer. I'm on the tail end of treatment. I'm happy to say I'm cancer free right now. Isn't this so amazing? This is the shift podcast. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird Weird. things with Greg Fish. WorldofWeirdThings.com for the blog and the podcast, all the things that Fishy gets up to. Fish, how are you, bud? Good? I'm doing well. Uh, I need a snorkel, but otherwise I'm doing pretty well. Uh, mm, raining, question mark? A lot. A is lot. It, We're getting that time. whole atmospheric river that's going through the West Coast is hitting us really hard. Mm-hmm. On the plus side, hopefully we're not going to be in a drought anymore. On the downside, we're not really used to this much rain at the same time. So if you don't know how to swim, mm. probably should start learning if you, and you're living in Southern California. There you go. Uh, Greg Fish joins us here for the uh, World of the Weird Things and Mystery 
is on the docket today, Fish. Let's get mysterious. Yes, we're actually going to do a real mystery and Ooh. one that you will you definitely have heard of, and mm-hmm. it is Flight MH370. Ooh, that's mysterious, that one. Yes. So we it's it's just about the ninth it's it's been the ninth anniversary. Netflix released a docuseries about it mm-hmm. and they kind of reviewed some of the main theories of what may have happened to it. But the one really interesting thing that I found when when watching it is basically how little we actually know. Yeah. And the fact that we don't actually know anything. But what I and what I really found fascinating is how important it is for us to find out an answer, any answer, something we are comfortable with. Because if you if you look at how these how this event was treated, at how it was covered, at how it was followed up, and what people wrote about it, and what people said about it, and what people advanced, what theories people advanced about it, it becomes very apparent. It it, it really illustrates that nature of myth making and how a lot of times we come up with conspiracy theories and with these these mythological uh, ideas, not because. Uh, I know we we talked a lot about people coming up with conspiracy theories because they feel bored, or they feel powerless, or they or mm-hmm. they feel like they they need some they need to gain some sort of agency over their lives. But this is because people are scared. Because scared. Yep. Le- yeah, I mean let's let's get down to it. This is a terrifying thing that happened. This is a tragedy. What happened was horrible, and we def- and we definitely want to tell ourselves that it's not going to happen to us. It can't happen to us because something weird must have happened. You know, something was involved. The aliens kidnapped it. A meteor hit it. Mothra swooped it out of the air. Something, something that could give us some sort of a a way to say, oh, this is not going to happen to me. This is just this. We can explain what happened. When in reality is we really can't. We know almost nothing. Yeah. So... MH370, can I give a recap of sort of the way that unfolded a little bit, and then you can correct me and expand on it? Does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it took off from, it was Malaysia Airlines flight, and uh, it took off, and it flew north. It was going to Beijing, I think, and it was over that South China Sea, and it was flying, and it left the um, airspace that it was the Singapore, uh, uh, the uh, Malaysian airspace, and then they said goodbye, and as soon as they said goodbye, the plane disappeared from all monitoring. That was it. That was the last of the time the plane was actually heard from. So they thought maybe something happened, hijacking, whatever. They, they thought the pilot took it down. They thought all kinds of things in the South China Sea. And But then there was some satellite, satellite tracking that said it actually turned around, flew over back over Malaysia, and then went and flew down to the Indian Ocean. They knew it either went north towards Kazakhstan or south towards the South Indian Ocean. And that's it. It was never seen or heard from again. Then there was some parts and debris that did show up in Africa, but those parts were missing serial numbers. So they weren't quite sure. They could have been from a 777, but they didn't know for sure. And so spiral. So when Greg says that it was just dreadful for the people, it was dreadful for the people because they not only were they trying to hope that their loved ones were still alive, but they it was such confusion. Every story was different. 
I think that sums it up. That that sums it up. But there's actually a couple little caveats where the radar tracking, the satellite tracking that supposedly says that the plane turned back over Malaysia. There's a lot of questions about whether they can really be relied on because we don't know exactly where that signal came from. It came from a receiver. But if that receiver was floating in the ocean for whatever reason, it would produce the same signal. And then in terms of the radar, the radar spotted something that could have been a plane, but they can't say, oh, yeah, this was that this was that flight. Right. Nobody saw the plane specifically. Yeah, exactly. And then the only part of the plane that had a serial number that matched only had one serial number out of 12 that were found on the different parts of that segment. So it's a big question of, well, maybe we got something wrong on the part. So again, no one actually knows what happened as far as, as, as far as our hard knowledge, as far as hard facts go, when they said goodbye on the handoff from Malaysian to Vietnamese airspace, the plane vanished, and that's it. That's all yeah, we the, know for a fact. The only remnants were bits of data that were discovered. The aircraft was never discovered. That's probably yeah. a good way to say it. Okay. We well, right, we so don't do we... we don't know if it, if anything of it was ever discovered. We can't yeah, nail it down for sure. Yeah, there was there was just data that was discovered. They're, they don't even know for sure that it came from that particular place. Okay, so uh, where do we go next in the mystery? What are we doing? So we're gonna take a really quick run through three of the main theories and two of the crazy ones, well, the more crazy ones. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about how they came about, what they are and what the issues with them are. And then finally, we're going to talk about the whole idea of myth making because we we touched on it just a little bit, but we're going to kind of sum it up. So first of all, we're going to start with the first and most popular theory is that the pilot hijacked the plane and essentially flew into nowhere to potentially commit suicide. Now, mm-hmm. something like that has happened before, but if we follow some of the data and some of the uh, and some of the uh, conclusions that were kind of reached initially, it doesn't quite look plausible because yes, that has happened uh, a handful of times in aviation history. But it was basically immediate. The pilots did not fly in the middle of nowhere until the plane ran out of fuel and crashed it into the ocean. On top of that, there is no indication that the pilot was going through any sort of serious stress or any sort of event. And the supposed smoking gun was the idea that he he supposedly practiced this route that was seen Mm. with the the satellite data um, on a flight simulator. But when you actually look at that data, the reason why no one really made a, a huge deal about it until the Malaysian authorities got wind of it and, and tried to uh, try to explore that theory is because this was part of different fuel exhaustion calculations that he made. This was not an actual route that he practiced. So that theory kind of went out the window, which is why the Malaysian government stopped mentioning it. Well, and he didn't practice it so much as like linear practicing. He was sort of clicking his way through it too, right? Like it wasn't just sitting there for hours practicing it for six hours. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very much like, hey, uh, what are the what are the fuel exhaustion uh, calculations for a seven seventy seven or a seven forty seven or all these different planes that I might fly? So, um, so the next theory is that it was hijacked by Russian spies 
to distract from the first Crimean invasion, which is one of those things where it's like, it, it seems like an awful lot of work for a week of coverage and then having to keep that story going by trying to like surface pieces and data and plant all these false flags. It's an awful lot of work. I didn't and, find it to be one of the most believable though. Well, the thing about that is that it, the, when you read the theory that was outlined, it essentially involved them taking control of the plane's avionics in yeah, a way that, that is simply not possible. Like you can't yeah. remote control a plane from the avionics hatch. It just, it doesn't work. You can shut off some of the communications, but there's redundant systems and overrides and you'd have to like f start physically destroying them and they're spread out across the plane. So mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And then on top of that, okay, you fly this plane full of people to, to Kazakhstan and then what, what do you do with those people? You know, there's, there's a, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot it's of couple, work. A couple hundred people that would have to be either taken care of or cared for either way. Exactly. So this, this seems like an awful lot of work. The other idea is that uh, this is the more crazy one that North Koreans hijacked it, which why? Because they would have to, the plane would have physically ran out of fuel flying to North Korea. They would have had to do a stopover in China with a plane full of Chinese nationals, majority yep. Chinese nationals, that they yep. were kidnapping. And they would have and to kidnap other, with Chinese assistance. Other countries no. in order to get there so nobody would notice, right? Like, that's wild, too. Yeah, no, that's that's not happening either. Um, and then the the other theory is that, well, Americans shot it down. That's interesting because there was war games going on in, around that area. Yes. So there's a French journalist, and I don't want to name names because I don't necessarily want to give give them attention. Uh, but uh, I sort of am, but I don't necessarily I, I don't necessarily want to name them so to to, to give them the the visibility. But um, this particular French journalist alleges that there was a box of electronics that were just it was just called electronics. It, it weighed like two and a half tons. It was supposedly arrived under escort and once and was not scanned by x-rays. And because there were American military forces in the area, she's saying, okay, well, this box is there and the plane is heading to China. So they want to stop this box of electronics from heading to China. The pilot did not divert his route uh, mm -hmm. according to the demands of the American military. So they shot the plane down to prevent that that box of electronics from getting into Chinese hands. So there's a yep. couple problems with, with, with that theory. The first one is that China steals American secrets literally all the time. And to be fair, vice versa. You know, as an mm -hmm. American, I know that we have our nose in people's business like a lot. And we steal a <laughs> lot of secrets. Like this is... This is what all countries do, uh, honestly. So Chinese steal American secrets our, all the time. Our country American probably can't Chinese. get it right. Yeah, our we country's don't, we like, don't... oh, sorry, eh? we didn't mean to break in there. Well, technically Canada's part of the five eyes, so there's there's that. Uh, you, you definitely help. Let's let's put it this way. You definitely <laughs> okay, help yeah. us steal secrets. We're, li we're like baby driver. We just, we're the getaway driver. Exactly, exactly, and and that's that's nothing to that's nothing to sneeze at. That takes a lot of skill. But <laughs> again, we don't shoot civilian planes over technical schematics. Anything that's short of some sort of a device that would give uh, those who possess it control over America's nuclear arsenal would possibly prompt that reaction.
the other part of it is that this whole box not being scanned maybe they just didn't scan it like why why do we need to immediately say oh well this this was missed therefore there has to be some some cover up some some secrecy and the idea that arrived under escort is a matter of rumor like no one like the, there's not like this hard confirmation no one's no one like stood up and said hey this was like super secret someone like got it if you had some sort of schematics to some sort of electronics if you're an actual spy you grab the schematics, you digitize them, you put them into some sort of encrypted file or you do some sort of um, manipulation and you send that file digitally. You know, like spies do these days. You're not transporting... You have a martini. Yeah, you're not, you're not transporting these, these, these physical secrets. You, you, no one does that anymore. Um, and then finally... Let's say all of this is somehow true. Again, we've, we've already blown a bunch of holes in this, but, but let's say this is true and this happened. If you are a pilot and you have your signals jammed by American AWOCs, which are extremely good at jamming communications, and there's, and there's an American fighter jet telling you you need to divert to the nearby um, Air Force Base, you're diverting to the nearby Air Force Base. You're not going to put up a fight. Like you're not like eh, pretty much every pilot would would do that. So this essentially says so. Not only was there a supposed secret box, it had something that Americans were willing to kill for, and then on top of that, the pilot had absolutely no sense of self-preservation and thought that completely having no communications with anyone else and a fighter jet telling him to land was just a prank and he could totally ignore it. So absolutely no, none of this is happening. It's actually more likely. That another theory happened, which is what it was that it was hit by a meteorite. Like that's more likely than being shot down by American jet fighters. So again, we we went through all of these crazy exercises, but and again, the common theme is this: we have an explanation. This very wild thing happened. The chances of it happening are almost zero. Therefore, when I fly, my plane can't possibly go into the ocean over the ocean and disappear out of existence and we don't know where it is and no one can track it and i just disappear into nowhere my family never knows where i went or what happened to me and they just have to pick up the pieces and move on because they'll never have proper closure mm -hmm. so this this is this is kind of like this this the, the meat and potatoes of myth making it's the same reason why we invent monsters who live in the dark something went bump in the night we need an explanation for what it is because we want to know hey is this thing going to get me and if so what can i do to prevent it or well this happened and this one bump in the night but this thing can't get me because xyz we we don't like not knowing things well, we yeah, hate not knowing part, things right um, that mm -hmm. fear part is so wild and it really does take over. Now, Fish, we do see this in all kinds of stories that creep into our, our day. And then we, we go into this mysterious fear, holy crap moment. And, um, and we, we kind of panic a little bit and the imagination sort of goes wild. Hey, that's, and that's exactly what it is. And this story is such a perfect example of it because it's not, it's not that what happened is, you know, crazy and wild and impossible. It's what happened is terrifying. It's tragic. And the universe denied us answers, denied us closure. We don't know what happened. We have a bunch of theories. We have absolutely 
no real solid proof for any of them. And that that fear that this could happen to us because it happened to hundreds of people is is absolutely terrifying. Like I, you know, I fly more than the average person. And I know that statistically flying is the safest form of transport. But is it possible that something horrible will happen on an airplane? Yes. Would I like to not think about it? Absolutely. Would I like to know exactly what happened to this plane? So hopefully I never have to think about it? Yes. But that's the that's the thing about the universe. The universe doesn't owe us answers. The universe doesn't owe us explanations. We have to fight for for any of those explanations and sometimes we have to make fact uh, we have to make peace with the fact that the answers just aren't there and in many ways our brain because it evolved not to make us happy not to give us not to necessarily give us closure but to keep us from dying does not like that idea and it probably never will so i think that for the foreseeable future as long as people know that MH370 existed at one point in time. We will have more theories, more ideas, more people claiming that they found this or that. This is never going to go away. This is always going to be a mystery that people will obsess about, that people will talk about, that people will have conspiracy about, and that people will talk about in hushed tones because they are desperately afraid of something similar happening again. So you don't know the answer is really what you're saying. No, I don't. And that's kind of the whole and that's kind of the whole point. Sometimes we don't know the answer and yeah, it sucks, but this is this is a fact that we need to that we need to know. Yeah. Well, I wish we did, but it does bring up this thing about mystery when strange things happen and where they really get us tangled up, right? And we've seen it with pandemic. We've seen it with all kinds of things. When we don't know, the imagination kicks in and really starts, really starts playing with us. And um, and that's quite amazing. So um, is there anything else that like you get? We only got about 30 seconds here, Fish, but is there is there another story that you personally, other than MH370, that you really have been always curious about for conspiracies and all those bits of people? Titanic for me oh, is still need- one that gets me. We we need we need a lot more than thirty seconds. There are so many things <laughs> that yeah. I don't know that I'm so curious about. I I honestly don't even know where to start. Yeah, mystery is amazing. Worldofweirdthings.com is where to go if you want to see all this stuff. The article that Fish has I will post at shiftheads.ca. Uh, it's a good documentary. I recommend it. Do you recommend it? The one from Netflix. Actually, yes, absolutely. They. There's reviews that say, oh, they're just elevating conspiracy theories. No, absolutely absolutely not. They do review them, but they do a really fair, even-handed job in evaluating their strengths and weaknesses. I absolutely recommend it, 100%. Cool. There it is. All right, check it out. Um, Maybe we'll find a trailer for that. I'm pretty sure I can. I'll get a posted too. Thanks so much, Fish. Always a pleasure. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you, are you are you okay 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 are you okay with all right so i'm in calgary on the north end i'm shane hewitt and demi knight is on the south end of calgary john O'Chung is right in the middle of downtown vancouver are you okay with flying first class demi 
Do you like flying first class? I wish I could tell you I've ever flown first class, but um, I have not. I can't imagine I would dislike it. Mm. All right, Jono, uh, would you like to fly first class? Do you think you could be okay with that? Yeah, I, I really like it. I, I, li yeah. I would like to fly first class because at least it's more legroom. I like the legroom because when I stand up after a long flight, my legs, they kind of fall asleep. Because mm -hmm. I remember I was, I was flying from, uh, from Vancouver to Shanghai and then Shanghai to Singapore, where all my relatives are. And my legs, after that flight, they turned to jelly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you did that in coach in the back in economy? Yeah, singing the, it was in the econ yeah, economy. Yeah. Oof, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I mean, first class is like it's the bee's knees. There's different levels of first class. First class is much like the luxury thing that we talked about the other night on the shift, kind of like a heated steering wheel. Once you have one, you can't go back. You really can't. First class is beautiful for, I don't really understand first class for these domestic one hour flights. Why would anybody uh, play, uh, do first class, right? For a one hour flight. But first class for an international flight, wow, that's just feels glamorous and awesome. It's nice. See, like your glassware is glass. Your cutlery is proper cutlery. Uh, I have to tell you that flying to uh, internationally when you get on like a Dreamline or whatever, you board first class, you get on first, they hand you some Prosecco when you sit down. And then they take your, they give you the menu and they take your dinner order for dinner and your breakfast order for breakfast if it's a long international flight. And uh, then they take your drink order. And all this happens while people load in the back of the plane. So whether you're just sort of in a, in a elevated premium or you're uh, in like a pod, fancy, fancy. Then by the time, then you have your Prosecco and your order's been taken, the plane takes off. And as soon as the light goes off for being able to stand and walk about the cabin, all of a sudden they hand you your next drink because you've already pre-ordered it. And they know you by name. They come up, they're like, hello, Demi. Thank you for flying with us today. Would you like some Prosecco? And then they hand you your blanket and your pillow and your eye pillow, maybe some lip chap. Then you go have your little nap and would you like to be awakened for breakfast? Yes. Okay, great. Then they wake you up and they give you your mimosa or whatever you'd like, plus your warm breakfast. And then you get up and you go about your business. So much so that at the front of the airplane in the pods and all the beautiful, the soap is different. It's like glamorous apothecary soaps not just like <laughs> cheap hotel soap like everything is different demi i feel like this is something you could get used to i think i definitely could you're selling it that's for sure the uh the the even just the elevated economy um chairs they kick back like a recliner with a little footrest so you can put your feet up is that like that the business class uh, yeah, well, it depends on the airline. Some business class is pods and some uh, like elevated premium is mm. is not pods. So that depends. Pods would be like a, a lay flat bed with your own TV, like your own pod, which is also wicked. Just saying. Um, see? Can't go back, right? 
wildly expensive. Every year, the Crystal Cabin Awards showcase some innovative ideas and reconceptualize the airplane cabin experience. Shortlisted this year is a cabin innovation from Air New Zealand called SkyNest, which should have bookable sleeping pods with six lie-flat bunk beds. Kind of like a train, which is neat. These sleeping uh, quarters are designed to give economy passengers the opportunity to get some beauty sleep on long flights, lie down and sleep. Motivation between the sky nests is that all passengers, no matter status on the plane, are able to get a comfortable night's sleep. The pods are arranged like bunk beds made up of two rows containing three beds bookable for about four hours. So you hop in, you have your nap, you leave. Air New Zealand has built several prototypes. It's currently considering whether it can transport one to the 2023 Airline Interiors Expo in Hamburg, Germany, which I would love to go to, where the winners of the Crystal Cabin Awards are announced, which is, ah, see, that'd be amazing. Lie down, have a good night's sleep, wake up, feel refreshed, have breakfast, go about your day. You could Mm -hmm. fly every night if you could sleep on a plane comfortably. Okay, let's, uh, let's expand on this. Are you okay with sitting in the middle seat of an airplane. How do you like that, Demi? I hate it. I hate it, and I'm always in the middle. Always. Are you an elbow warrior? No, like I'm not, but like I wish I was, but I feel mean when I push people off. Like I know everyone's just trying to be comfortable, but also like you can't get more uncomfortable than the middle seat. Mm Mm-hmm. I would agree. In fact, we just had, when we had um, the president, Michael DeLuce on, the president of Porter Airlines, That's he said that's why they bought their Embraer airplanes, because they're two two and two. Two seats, aisle, two seats. He had a really good point. If you think about those mm-hmm. 737s, you know, you've got three seats, aisle, three seats, not just 737s, but the Airbuses too, some of them. And he said one third of your passengers are unhappy sitting in the middle seat. That makes sense, mm-hmm. right? It's a very mm-hmm. good point. It's a very good point. Um, but the middle seat is very, it's, it's a hot topic. Let's get the clip. Are you upset because you're trying to take my armrest? Oh, here we go. Your armrest. Your armrest. You don't know plain etiquette. Window gets an armrest in a wall. Middle gets two armrests. Aisle gets an armrest and a little bit of extra legs. We're not animals. We live in a society. He's got a point. Sorry, man. I didn't know. Will you move your elbow? I <sighs> am only taking the back of the armrest. You can have all the rest. You take the back? You take the whole damn thing. Jim Jeffries is very funny. Not for everybody. Got to tell you, but he's very funny. Um, on that note, another concept from the Crystal Cabin Awards is Adian Aerospace's front row business class retreat. This is pretty amazing. Um, create comfort for passengers, wide body jets, the big jets with a narrow body idea. The idea is, is there's never a middle seat. Two separate levels, three separate cabins. So imagine this. On the left side of the airplane, you have two seats, an aisle and two seats, then a wall. On the right side of the airplane, then you have two seats, an aisle and two seats, and then the outside of the plane. So two separate sort of cabin tubes that go backwards in the plane. Sitting above that, kind of nestled, you know, fitting nicely like a honeycomb, would be another whole other cabin of two seats, an aisle and two seats. No middle seats ever. And on the wall in the middle of the plane, of course, somebody mean that means they can't see out. So they would use um, monitors to create virtual windows of what it looks like outside the plane, so you could actually see it. See, cool ideas. This Very is cool. fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is good stuff. Doesn't make you want to go on a trip though. Like if you could be that comfortable, 
Oh, it does. Sad. It really does. I will never forget the first time I flew first class. It was from Hawaii back to Canada. And it was the absolute best experience of my life. I will never forget that time. Oh, so good. No, it is. It's so good. Like it's off the charts good. It's beyond good. Mm -hmm. It just it's it's heavenly, heaven, heavenly, heavenlessness stuff. You know what's crazy is I had I took a flight. I was in Dubai before Christmas, mm -hmm. um, and I took a flight from Dubai back to England to see my family. And that was the first plane I'd ever been on that was two levels. I had never been on one like that before. I also mm -hmm. didn't get to go upstairs and see the cool stuff, but mm -hmm. the first time I'd ever been on one like that. 380 probably, right? That's big. I don't know. I can oh. tell you. <laughs> uh, Tina Calgary it. says, hi, Shane. Hi, Jono and Demi. We had the luxury of pod travel to London. It was fabulous. Really difficult return to economy after that. See? Mm. Um, I'm not as tall as you, Shane, but I am six foot one. The middle seat is pretty much a no-go for me. I'm about six one too. Uh, six two. I think I'm shrinking. There was a time where I was, the secret is the exit row is the secret. But if there's two exit rows, you need to sit in the back exit row, not the first exit row. First exit row and the row before that, seats do not recline. Second exit row, seats recline and you get the leg room. Three dudes, all of us over 200 pounds, all of us over six feet tall, comfortably sitting in a second exit row. Just a little note for all you larger folks. So there you go. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.